You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. And now, here's Jacob Lukowitz, online and social media editor at SD Times. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast episode. Today, we're going to be talking about a fundamental aspect of cybersecurity that often goes unnoticed, code sanitization. We'll discuss the crucial steps organizations must take to enhance their security posture while using it. With me today is Sally Vincent, Senior Threat Research Engineer at Logarithm. Hi, Sally. Welcome to the podcast, and thanks for coming on. Hi. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. So can you introduce yourself a a little bit and tell us um, some things about Logarithm? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Sally. I'm a Senior Threat Research Engineer at Logarithm. What I do day to day is I develop threat detection content for the product, um, as well as keeping up to date with the latest security trends and issues. Um, Me especially, I'm focused on threat hunting and reverse engineering. I have a background in electrical and computer systems engineering, as well as IT. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what Logarithm does, we're an enterprise security software company. We specialize in security, information, and event management SIM products, as well as network and endpoint monitoring, security analytics, and generally anything we can do to help out SOC teams. Hmm. Great. So can you tell our audience about what is code sanitization? And is this a term that's being used very often in the field now? I I think it is. And it, it really has been for a while. There's a little bit of confusion over what code sanitization actually means. When I talk about code sanitization, I'm really talking about two parts. I'm talking about um, code validation. And here we're talking about input from the user. So validating will determine if data is in the proper form. And then sanitizing will remove any illegal characters from the input data. And so you're normally going to combine these two techniques to provide in-depth defense to your application. So this is really, you know, a a standard practice these days. I remember, you know, or a friend of mine (laughs) misses the days when you could just go in, you know, to any web form and put one equals one or some simple statement in and get everything returned. But that being said, a, a lot of the classic bad input attacks still happen. So when you have inadequately sanitized code, it can serve as an entry point for various attacks, uh, like uh, my friend's beloved SQL injection attacks, cross-site scripting, and remote code execution. Um, if you want a little bit more of a, a definition of code sanitization um, versus validation, I can definitely tell you oh, that, yeah. too. That would be great. So, like I said, you would normally combine these two techniques. Um, for example you might change like all single quotation marks in a string to double quotation marks to sanitize it and then check that all those quotation marks were actually changed uh, to doubles validate. Um, So really, we don't want users directly inputting into your product, into your code. It might be, you know, something malicious like a SQL string or, you know, it just might be something weird and odd that's really going to break the program. And fuzzing is really, which I, I, you know, I had an introduction to in college. So just putting all kinds of input into your program is is kind of part of that and something that you definitely want to do. So mm-hmm. if you have an input and you expect like zero, one, or two, 
what happens if a user puts, you know, negative 12 or what if the user puts in a string of code? I see. Yeah. And um, I imagine this is becoming all the more important now that there's just so many more open source uh, components and just open source code that's out there. Oh, for sure. I mean, one of the points that, you know, I really want to drive home here today to help people out is that if you're using open source software, and I mean, every, everyone is practically, there needs to be some kind of a process for approving and documenting open source components that you use in your product. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to, you know, get lost and and just kind of forget like what type of open source components you're using, especially if it's just like some kind of really, you know, commonly used library. Um, A really great example of issues with, you know, open, or I mean, a commonly used dependency. A really good example of a dependency issue was the Equifax breach Mm -hmm. a while ago. And that was, if I recall correctly, because they were using Apache Struct struts as a dependency so there are some um, automated tools that can actually help you do um, what we call a software composition analysis or sca that are going to scan your um, applications for open source software and dependencies so it's a really good idea to run these even if you think you know what you have sometimes you don't mm-hmm. yeah that's very interesting and i know you mentioned some of these before but what are some of the um, some of the most common risks when code sanitization is overlooked? Well, I mean, generally, you're, you're going to have, like I said, your, your classic injection attacks. Um, cross-site scripting is one that can happen from that. And remote code execution is, is really going to be a pretty nasty one that happens quite frequently. Mm-hmm. You do not want to, users to be able to run code in your application. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, what role do automated tools and, and frameworks have in helping uh, ensure code sanitization? Well, that's a good question. Um, just talking about you know open or coding, secure coding best practices, um, that's definitely something that every organization should do. And I won't say a lot there because it's just a, a, a ton of information that mm-hmm. Um, can take really years to learn. But I will say that, you know, it includes kind of training, utilizing, you know, secure coding frameworks like you touched on, like SEI cert, um, and conducting regular code reviews. So that's, you know, something that you can't just assume that your your devs were taught and it's going to be up to like tech leads, uh, engineering managers, maybe agile coaches, to make sure that people know and follow those best practices, which are going to help you with dealing with not missing some um, some entries for unsanitized code. The mm-hmm. other thing that you touched on, which can definitely help, is leveraging um, automated application security scanning software. So this is going to be... Um, Something like there's some popular options out there like check marks, Veracode, uh, Synopsis. You can always find one that will, you know, work with your IDE and run pipeline scans as well. There's also mm-hmm. some more custom solutions. I'm kind of coming at this from like an enterprise security software background, whereas like my husband is an iOS dev, so he still mm-hmm. does automated scanning, which everyone should do, but just with more custom tools. 
Mm-hmm. So when you do these scans, they'll identify quite a lot, but they, um, you know, can also tell you where, you know, areas that require code sanitization. I see. Yeah. And you mentioned that you know, training is a big aspect of this. And that usually comes from, from a top-down approach, usually for having all of your, uh, you know, developers going through through a training program, but how do you uh, how do you kind of enforce that or encourage that in an open source space? In open source, is pretty hard, but um, really, there's there's a there's a couple of things you can do. Um, again, top down is is really what the deal is here because you can't assume that people were taught you know secure development or secure coding principles. So this is again where your tech leads. Um, your development managers, um, your agile trainers are going to come in to teach and make sure this process is being followed. But building this security into your development lifestyle life cycle is where this is really going to be enforced. Mm-hmm. So like I mentioned, everyone should be using the automated security scanning software. Well, you're going to want to add those scans to your CI, CD, you know, make it part of the process and not something that you do once a quarter that whenever you remember to do it. And those tools can also help you just rectify issues very efficiently. And in my opinion, you need to rectify all found vulnerabilities before merging to master. Mm -hmm. Um, And by rectify, I mean either like fixing a true security defect or verifying a false positive. In my opinion, everything needs to be fixed. You know, Mm -hmm. you're paying all of this money for this expensive tool like fix it before you merge this to master, it's going to save you money the further like left in the in the flow you're going to do this. I see. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, so you, you've been in the enterprise security space um, for a while. Are you seeing that um, this, you know, security and this kind of emphasis on training is is coming more into the foreground now? And perhaps why why is that the case? It, it definitely is. Um, and, and something I'll add to that is that customers really care about this. So if you're a developer, the customers now know and care about code security and it's something that matters to them. But I mean, really just looking at the rise of cybercrime, especially the just the blossoming of it since uh, cryptocurrency started, it's mm-hmm. it's very com- it's come to the forefront of everyone's minds. Right. Yeah. And Hopefully that reflects in like company budgets as well, right? I I would hope so. Um, At this point, it should, I think a lot of these things that I'm talking about, like using, you know, automated security scans, um, doing a software composition analysis, it would be, you know, best practice industry standard. But as a security researcher, I've seen that sometimes that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So um, for those companies that are looking for probably like the most immediate way to to implement some, you know, better code sanitization, what are some suggestions that you, you can give? My my first one would be to if you do not have it, get that security scanning, the static code and scanning into your process. Find a product, like I said, that works for you, you know, of course, with your integrated development. Uh, environment does pipeline scans. There are some cheaper options out there. I think GitHub has an an option now too built in. So get that Mm -hmm. into your CI process. Um, Get that started. That's going to be a huge one that's going to help you out. Mm -hmm. If you're using secure 
coding best practices, like a framework, that's also going to help you adhering to those. And then also just knowing how data flows through your application. So know know your use cases, know your users' day-to-day workflow within your product. And that's going to, you know, help identify some vulnerable areas. It's also going to help you with um, user experience too. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you so much for your insight, Sally. Is there uh, anything else that maybe we haven't covered that that you feel is important to highlight or or add on to? Yeah, for sure. One one point that I I want to drive home before we close that really all of what we've talked about, you know, kind of goes into is that really building a security conscious culture within your organization is is going to help you get this done. So this involves like regular security awareness training for developers, um, encouraging, you know, a reporting culture for vulnerabilities and, you know, fostering collaboration between development mm-hmm. and security teams. You, um, security is everyone's responsibility. This isn't something that you can just assign to one person or one team because that's going to fail. Mm-hmm. All right, great. Well, it looks like that's all the time we have for today's show. And I want to thank you again for coming on. Awesome. It was fun. Thank you.